We're going to start off with a little activity. I'm going to ask you to clear your mind, and then I'm going to give you something about for 10 seconds. All right? So clear your mind. And I want you to think about not running. Okay. So who would like to tell me what you thought about when I ask you to think about not running? Yes. Sitting. Sitting. Very good. What else? Laying down. Who else has something that they thought about? Yes. What? Standing in place. Playing with children and? Oh, that sounds good, actually. Floating in a pool of water. Who here thought about running? <laughs> it's hard, isn't it, to not think about something, especially when you're told, don't think about this. And you think, okay, I'm not going to think about this. I'm not going to think about this. And we heard from some people who were able to jump over that and get on to something else. But then some of us felt like, I'm still working on not thinking about it, right? This is an exercise that a speaker led the group that I was in, in. And he wanted to illustrate his point about how hard it is to imagine something other than the negative when you're instructed to not think of the negative. So, in being told, don't think of running, then how hard it is to think of something else. And then he backed it up with a story from his own experience. He had a neighbor who had horses, and they were in a field that was not far from the road. In fact, the fence was just about a car's width from the actual road. And the horses liked to stand along the fence, and so people would often pull over to pet them and things, and inspired by their love of the horses, they would feed them things, or at least attempt to feed them things. And this often resulted in a lot of trash along the road. Trash that indicated that what the horses were, be fed, were being fed was not stuff that horses actually eat. And so the farmer wanted to address the fact that he was tired of cleaning up the trash along the side of the road, and he put a big sign there that said, do not feed the horses. And a wink went by, and yet another one, and the trash was still there. And so he amended his sign and put, please do not feed the horses. And the speaker said that it was at this time that he decided to offer some counsel, if his neighbor would receive it, from what he knew. And he said to him, when you put do not feed the horses, what people are still stuck on is feed the horses. And then when you put please don't feed the horses, well, that just, that just waters down your request. Rather than them hearing that as a nice thing, it makes it sound less emphatic even than do not feed the horses. He said, what you need is for that sign to say what they eat. And so the farmer put up a new sign, and it said, we only eat apples and carrots. And the trash went away. I was thinking about that in relationship to today's lesson, the reading from Paul's letter to the Romans. And this first portion of this sixth chapter, which we read the earlier verses last week, and these verses follow those, where Paul is reminding us to do not sin. And so we think, okay, do not sin, so I'm, I'm not going to sin. But what is the opposite? Oh, it's the opposite of sinning. 
Do not sin is the opposite of sinning, but we're stuck in the negative recitation, and so we wonder then what does it actually look like to not sin? One sermon I heard on this matter some 17 years ago, I think it was, the preacher suggested that the opposite of sin is worship. So how is it that we practice not sinning? We practice it by worship. Paul's letter to the Romans is a hugely influential text. In fact, it's posited to be the most influential text throughout all of history. It was written somewhere around 57 or 58, some almost 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And Paul is practicing, articulating his theology, and he's written several letters before he gets to the letter to the Romans. But it's this letter to the Romans that deals with two particular understandings in Christianity that we have come to know through Paul's teachings. In this portion, in Paul's letter to the Romans, he deals with justification and sanctification, two very churchy words. Justification has to do with how we are made righteous. Sanctification has to do with how we are made holy. And so Paul is showing us in this portion of his letter to the Romans how it is that we are made righteous, how it is we are justified. And he is making it known that it's not the law that justifies us. We will always fail against the law. And as more we get more nuanced in the keeping of the law, we find all the more things that we have to remember and try to follow. And so we become damned in the attempt. Paul is letting it be known. The good news is that we are justified. We are made righteous because of Christ. That God in Christ, through his death and resurrection, has made us righteous. It's the grace that has done it. And we are invited to live into that reality. We are invited to live into the reality of being justified by grace. And so what does it mean then to live into that reality? We become sanctified. We become made holy. And how is it that we live as people who are made holy? Well, there is our invitation to worship. I like to visit people's houses, and it's fun for me to see the room where the TV is, or the TVs are. And would you mind shutting those doors back there to keep the zoomings from uh, coming in? I'm always interested in the room where the TV is. Because I want to see, does all the furniture face in that direction and help you know that this is what this room is for? Or is it flexible enough to change around so maybe you could look at each other? Either way is fine. Often it does situate everyone to focus in that direction. That's what a TV room, I think, is for. I'm struck, though, at how many times, hours perhaps, we spend in our weekly routine of facing in that direction. And how in facing in a certain direction, we show what it is that we are paying attention to. And so we come in here, at least on a Sunday, and we all face in this direction. And it shows what we're paying attention to. We are remembering the gift of God to us in the death and resurrection of Christ. And in our focused attention, we demonstrate worship. That is what we're doing. It would be a gift to each of us as living as holy people that have been justified and made righteous by the grace of God if we practiced that orientation more regularly. That act of worship reminds us of the direction into which we're set. 
as sanctified people, as people who have been made holy. That's why we talk about prayer practices and routines in our weekly routine, in our weekly schedule, that remind us of our orientation. But if those start to not hold together in the course of the week, you know you can always come here, at least on a Sunday, and reorient yourself. To face forward and direct your worship. Because it is in worship that we remember or we are even informed of what to do in the difficulties of life. Through that orientation, we find out how it is that we can not sin. The commandments are filled with negatives. Do not steal. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. Jesus summed them all up in two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. When we claim these commandments, we are directed toward worship. And as we get the hang of worshiping, then we find that the answers to how to address this world and to live as faithful people in this world is given to us. Those answers are given to us. Worship is what we're called to do. And we're called to do it for the praise of his glorious grace. Amen.